What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shape Daily. Brennan Schaefer here with you for what will be a little bit of a different experience than what you're used to on Be Shape Daily, but I think a lot of fun and something we're going to do a lot more of moving forward. As last night after the Cardinals 4-0 loss to the Brewers, we went live on YouTube and had a good time with some listeners and watchers over there. Uh, taking questions and breaking down the game. And so I'm going to take that audio and plug it into uh, just an audio track for those who don't want to watch a full video. And that'll be the episode we we have for today. Cardinals uh, will have their game on Saturday afternoon against the Brewers. Obviously looking to uh, get out of this losing streak right now are the Cardinals after 4 nothing loss last night to Milwaukee. It's a night game on Saturday. 6-10 start, Jordan Montgomery against Eric Lauer. So we'll see if the Cardinals are able to get things going, and we'll have another episode at some point following that game. But if you want to make sure not to miss when we go live on YouTube, youtube.com slash at bshafer12, just like my Twitter handle, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Subscribe, uh, click the bell for the notifications, and that way you'll always know when we're going live. But I'll talk about it on Twitter as well to make sure you don't miss out. But it was a lot of fun last night. I think we'll be doing more of them because uh, it's a great way to interact with listeners as I'm talking about the topics. And you can pick the topics for me by commenting and asking your questions. So it was a lot of fun. We're going to play it right here. And uh, that'll be what we do for B-Shape Daily today, though. So I appreciate you guys. And uh, have a listen. Enjoy. All right. I don't know if anybody's going to watch this. That's fine. It's uh, more about me getting it off and running so I know what I'm doing with it. And uh, so I see a few people chiming in in the chat. If you can't hear me, I assume by now you would have told me. So I'm going to say that it's good to go and we can start talking a little baseball. Go ahead and post your questions, your comments, anything you've got. I'll get to it all in the chat. But I'm just going to kick it off right now by, first of all, saying if you're in here and you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do that. That's I'm, I'm going to mention it a couple times throughout because this is the first time I've used it. And so I would love to get you guys on board. I've been posting Cardinals videos on YouTube daily. Uh, I'm going to continue to do that throughout the season. But let's talk about the game. Enough about me. Cardinals lose 4-0 to the Brewers. And as a couple people have mentioned, yeah, the offense, what happened? What happened? Where did it go? Cardinals get shut out by the Brewers. I had wondered if maybe this was going to be that type of game offensively for the Cardinals when I saw Brandon Woodruff to the first batter of the game Brendan Donovan. I was like, oh, okay, Woodruff, yes, he's on tonight. And he was. But what have we talked about year over year when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals? You can't always just give credit to the pitcher, right? You need to, against elite pitching, sometimes perform in an elite way as an offense. And the Cardinals certainly did not do that tonight. But they had their opportunities, and there were some really, really frustrating ones that that the Cardinals let slip away here. Um yeah, Tyler O'Neill is one that sticks out to me. Let me know in the chat what stuck out to you about this game. Seriously, if you're in here, I see a few people in the chat. Let me know what stuck out to you offensively, pitching-wise. We'll talk about Jack Flaherty's start, which, again, same as his first outing. If you look at the box score and, like, scrub out the walks part, looks pretty good. Uh, you'll take what he gave you. But is it sustainable for Jack Flaherty to continue living on the edge the way that he has over his first two games? I would say probably not, and I know that Cardinals fans would probably be uh, even further entrenched in that camp. Jack goes five innings tonight, gives up a couple of runs. The fact that he's throwing so many balls and what I would argue at times are non-competitive pitches make it very difficult for him to get deeper than five innings in a game. It's why for the first two outings of the year, we've seen Jack Flaherty unable to do that. So uh, I'm going to go right now to the chat because I see we've got some questions, some comments, and I, I appreciate you guys for hopping in. I, it, it doesn't really do a whole lot of good for me to sit here talking to myself, so I want to make sure I'm giving uh, attention to the chat when you guys uh, pop on there. So Daniel says, the Brewers look like they have good pitching. Flaherty with six more walks. Yeah, so I had commented that when I saw Brandon Woodruff to Brendan Donovan tonight, I thought it might be a long night for the Cardinals offensively. Uh, at the end of the day, that sort of was the case as the Cardinals come up with just five hits and they get shut out. Man, I, I know a lot of Cardinals fans had hoped, and I, I think they had – a little bit of belief that it would be this way, that when you get into the new season, 
I know a lot of people wanted to blame Jeff Albert for the inconsistencies of the offense in previous years. I don't know that it's that simple, but I think a lot of people hope that after what we saw in the first series of the year against Toronto, maybe this year would be different for the Cardinals and you wouldn't have uh, a number of those games where the bats just, you'd know in the first inning that it was going to be one of those nights. So many talented hitters in this lineup and yet the inconsistency, the inability to score uh, with regularity. And now it's becoming somewhat of a trend, right? Three games, Three total runs. The Cardinals scored one, then two, now zero tonight. And you had an off day sandwiched in between there. So it's frustrating. And once again, I think you can look at a few moments in this game and say, oh boy, that was an opportunity that was missed. First of all, I think too many of those runners on base, ducks on the pond situation, the Cardinals are swinging at balls, man. They're swinging at pitches that are out of the strike zone. Contreras did it on that 3-0 pitch, and then uh, fortunately the reliever threw him another ball, so he was able to take his base. But then uh, Tyler O'Neill's at bat. I think that pitcher was ready to give him first base and, and walk in a run, and then he gets one on the hands that he swings at. It was ball four to my eyes and doesn't get it out of the infield inning over. So that really sucked. But at the end of the day, you, you probably needed more opportunities than that if you were going to score the four runs. Uh, to extend this game against Milwaukee tonight. 4 nothing is the final score for the Cardinals. Yeah, not great. Not great when the offense has suddenly been inconsistent for you guys. Welcome into the stream. Let me know with your chat. I'm reading all the chat questions. Uh, we're just going to freewheel this. First time doing YouTube. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so. Uh, I thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, James says, how long before we maybe see Walker move to the number two spot to see if he sparks anything as a table setter? Great question, James. I was kind of surprised to see Walker in the eight hole, honestly, tonight. I thought they'd at least maybe begin creeping him up little by little. Um, and I love that he's in the lineup every day. Like, he's got that seven-game hitting streak now to begin his major league career. How cool is that? 20 years old and is is showing up and in, in not being overmatched or overwhelmed in any uh, capacity right now, which is awesome. And so Cardinals fans are naturally like, okay, time to move him up in the order if the offense isn't clicking. I think that time will come. I think it's very clear, though, that Ali Marmel likes having the lefty batting in front of Goldschmidt. Um, Alec Burleson has gotten a lot of opportunities there in that two-hole. Lars Nupar would be that guy if he were healthy right now. And so I think there is an element of it to where Ali likes breaking up the lineup that way. But it'll get to a point where beggars can't be choosers, right? If you end up going one run, two runs, no runs for three games in a row, um, it's been missed opportunities in each and every case. But tonight was a little different, right? Only five hits, and it felt like the Cardinals didn't have the 17 hard-hit balls. They had 17 batted balls on Wednesday at 95 miles per hour or better off the bat. They were hitting the ball hard on Wednesday, didn't have a lot to show for it. Tonight, I don't really feel like it was as much the case, right? You kind of felt it. You felt the lulls the offense was going through. And we mentioned a couple of spots that they they probably could have capitalized and weren't able to do so with runners on base. I'll, I'll need to check how many left on base they had uh, tonight. It was 13, so it's a, it's a decent chunk, and you want to see that diminished if you can. But this one didn't feel like one they were going to do much in once the first inning went. Brandon Woodruff was on, but to only a certain extent am I comfortable saying, yes, we'll credit the pitcher. It can't always be an excuse for the Cardinals, right? Like, if they're going to be a team that's going to be the class of the NL Central and, and compete to be the class of the National League, it's got to look different than it did tonight. Um, you're going to face aces throughout the season. you got to beat a number of them if it's going to uh, to get you where you want to go. When it comes to Walker, I don't know. I think it'll take a few more games of struggling and a losing streak. First of all, Ollie is really – I mean, if you look at the Tyler O'Neill stuff that happened this past week, it's clear that the frustration is already there for the Cardinals. And how about, like, late – it might have been eighth inning, ninth inning. Uh, I think it was the ninth where you get Arenado slamming the bat, Contreras slamming the bat. Like, these guys are upset about the way things are going. And, boy, how quickly it changes. We had – the vibes were immaculate coming out of the Toronto series. And, you know, a few short days later, it doesn't feel that way at all anymore. So they're wearing that frustration a little bit. I would say the more you see of that, the more quickly you might come up with some lineup changes that Ollie would look at because uh, this isn't sustainable. I mean, the Brewers are now six and one. The Cardinals are two and five. Uh, yeah, the Pirates have a winning record. Like it's early. And, and I'm not saying, oh, the division's slipping away. But if you play like this all year, I mean, you're not going to go very far. So, yeah, I think Walker eventually, to answer your question in a very long way, James, eventually I do think he gets there. I, th I think he moves up in the lineup. I don't know if it'll be as soon as this weekend, next week, next month. It'll happen, though, by midseason where I think he's in more of a prominent role um, because everything that they have thrown at him so far, he has taken it in stride. It's been pretty impressive.
Uh, Jack, thanks for your comment, man. To what extent do you think Ollie Marmel could be a problem? Team morale just seemed fat. I, I've heard this sentiment from a lot of Cardinals fans, honestly, because the last week has been weird. Um, it, it has been. I, I, the handling of the Tyler O'Neill thing was a little bit off, but he was back in the lineup today. I think that's over and, and done with, honestly. It was a weird couple of days, but I don't think it's something that's going to linger for this team. But the frustration that you see, I don't think it's Ali Mama related. I think it's we're not scoring runs related. I think it's frustration at the plate. Guys have expectations of themselves, and right now they're not coming through. I don't think Ali Marmel is, is an issue for the Cardinals. I think, and fans don't always get a chance to see this, and this week of all weeks, it's going to sound a little crazy for me to say this, but I think Ali Marmel is uh, one of the more intelligent baseball men that, that many have come across in terms of uh, within this organization. I was a big fan of Mike Schilt. Um, Mike Matheny as a manager, maybe less so. And, and I didn't ever cover Tony LaRusso as a manager. I was in you know high school when he uh, when he retired from the Cardinals. But I tell you what, man, Ali Marmel. I've I've seen I've seen things behind the scenes where I just know that he's locked in and know that he is a very intelligent baseball man, and he's going to stick to his guns on certain things. When it's going badly, that's going to come across as stubbornness, I think, to Cardinals fans because they're going to say, look, you've got to make changes. Look at what's going on. When things are going well, though, I think you're you're riding the vibes at that point, and Cardinals fans are going to appreciate the fire and the uh, – just uh, I think the attention to which he pays to all of these details benefits the Cardinals. I think he's a really good manager. Right now they're losing, so the manager gets blamed. There's not a person in the world who could sit in that manager's seat for the St. Louis Cardinals and not catch flack from the fan base when wins aren't coming across the plate. So I, I think I get it. I get where it comes from. I don't agree with it. I really do not believe that Ollie Marmel is a problem. People may not like hearing that in a week like the Cardinals have just had, but I'm, I got to, I got to give it to you the way I see it. Um, and you've got to evaluate that, you know, as you will ask questions of me though. I'll try to answer them as honestly as I can when it comes to, you know, what the reasoning behind it. But I, I, the best way I can put it is that I see uh, the work that he puts in day in and day out and just the intelligence with which he talks about these baseball conversations that we don't always get to see publicly. I feel as though he is in a, in a spot where he can guide the Cardinals through this. It's the first week of the season to quote Tony La Russa. Um, I would lay off Ollie. I get it though. I get it that it doesn't look good right now. Uh, as I see a, a fire marble from Andrew. Yeah. I mean, I get it. People are upset with Ollie, but I, I tell you what guys, uh, the comment from Andrew that says Ollie needs to go Matheny 2.0. I just couldn't disagree with that more. That's not to say that Matheny is not a, an intelligent baseball man, but I, for me, it is really night and day with what, like the level of awareness that Ollie has about what's going on and what he wants to do and how to approach it versus Matheny. I think it's night and day, man. So I, I just can't agree with that. But as Zach mentions, they are two and five. They absolutely are two and five. Uh, and that's not great. Greg Palermo mentions it. Gorman at two. That is something that I think you could absolutely see against right-handed pitching uh, at some point down the road, and maybe sooner rather than later. Like, Ollie, I think, wanted to give Burleson that shot, and they like Burleson as a contact hitter. Like, Burleson, he looks, you know, big and not to not to be a, too much of a pun guy, but Burley, I don't think he's going to be as much of a home run guy as you might think if you've checked out his stats in the minors. He's a good contact hitter. He puts the bat to the ball. And I think that's what Ollie likes about Burleson in the two-hole. But at a certain point, I think Gorman will graduate to where he would make a lot more sense batting in that spot in the lineup uh, against right-handed pitching in particular. So I kind of like that thought as well. Caleb misses Chris Carpenter. Yeah, what the Cardinals don't have right now is the starter that's pounding the zone and also not giving up hard contact. It's kind of been one or the other. And tonight, Jack Flaherty did not pound the zone. I said I was going to talk about him, so I'll take this as an opportunity to do that briefly before I get back to the comments section. Uh, and if you haven't commented yet, go ahead and do it. Subscribe to the channel, like this uh, stream. It looks like we've got four likes on the stream. I appreciate that. I see them all. So keep it going guys. Thank you. Um, when it comes to Jack Flaherty, somebody mentioned this on Twitter. And I think in part, it's a very good comparison right now. It feels sort of like Jack Flaherty is, is showing us a little bit of Carlos Martinez style of pitching, which is not to say that his, uh, his delivery or mechanics are erratic because that's what you got with Carlos a lot of times. But what that led to for Carlos was his, his pitches had excellent movement on them. However, he didn't know where they were going. He couldn't, it was like there was a magnetic force field around the strike zone sometimes watching Carlos Martinez and his fastball would run arm side, think just off the, the corner of the plate, or it would tail in the other way. If he was throwing uh, throwing inside on a, on a left-handed batter, 
oh my gosh, it would barely just miss the zone. It's like, you've got to have magnetic force fields to be missing the zone by the two inches every time that he's missing. That's how I felt watching Carlos start uh, a lot of times toward the end when he was not uh, really in the, the prime of the way he was performing in those good years for the Cardinals. And he did have good years. Go back and look. The stats will tell you. But yeah, there were some frustrating years for Carlos. For Flaherty, it's not a mechanical thing, I don't think, but it's it sort of feels the same way where he's not his fastball has good movement on it. He's not controlling the movement uh, in a pinpoint way that's giving him the strike zone more often than not. And then sometimes, like the number of non-competitive breaking balls from Flaherty is a little bit frustrating at times. He is so talented. He has got great stuff, and his stuff really does look good. It's why for the first two starts, he has 10 total innings and two runs allowed, right? Like he's able to pitch around these walks. He had six more of them tonight, and that's not sustainable. But for a guy like Flaherty, you can sustain it easier than others can because his stuff is elite. He's just not commanding it really at all right now. Um, and, and that can lead to frustration at times. To Jack's credit, in the first game at Bush, he did not get frustrated by the, the fact that he was unable to command his pitches the way he wanted to. He stuck with it and was able to grind out five scoreless innings, hitless innings for that matter, at Bush. This one, he gave up a couple of runs, but again, was able to keep the Cardinals in it if the bats could come up with anything. So for as much as I think it's right that Twitter was looking at Jack Flaherty's start tonight and exasperated at what they were seeing, at the same time, the signs are there that if he could just get the command a little bit better and throw fewer of those non-competitive pitches out of the strike zone. I mean, the, the breaking balls that are landing a foot below the plate uh, not the plate, but the strike zone, you know, the batters aren't going to be fooled by that more often than not. And and I've, in the past, I thought that Jack Flaherty was doing a little too much nibbling. I, I don't even know if it's so much nibbling at this point. I mean, I think there might be some validity to that, but it's also just, I don't know if he's finding the pinpoint command that he's comfortable with for the fastball. And that that's sort of where everything begins. And then you find that you're able to throw the breaking pitches a little bit closer. Guys are more apt to chase it. If you're commanding the zone on, on the pitches early in counts. So I, it's, it's a little bit of a struggle right now. But as I said, his stuff is good enough that it's keeping him in games. And so that's been pretty impressive. Uh, scrolling through here, Alex says, are the odds better than not that the Cardinals head to Denver 2-7 and seven and six games back already on April 9th? No, they'll win. They'll win one this weekend. What are they, 2-5 and five now? Uh, I think it's Montgomery and then Woodford. The Woodford one could be a little tough. It's going to be a good test for Woodford on Sunday. Um, but Montgomery, I... Maybe I'm the eternal optimist. People are like, shut your mouth. But I feel like Montgomery figured it out a little bit later on in his started Bush. And you're going to see a, 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 something close to a quality start. The problem is, can the offense get it back? That The offense is going to have to put up runs if the Cardinals are going to win games. Um, and, and right now, we're not, you know, for three games in a row now, it's kind of like, ooh, I really like what we saw at the beginning of the year. Uh, that, that wasn't all that long ago. It was like less than a week ago. Where, where is it? Where are, are the bats? Uh, looking through the Cardinals lineup tonight, base hit for Donovan Burleson, Arenado two for four. That's good to see. And Jordan Walker uh, continuing his hit streak. Other than that, man, it was feeble. It was not uh, not a pretty sight. And then the caught stealing by Tommy Edmond, man. I, I don't know. I was thinking they should review that, but I guess I never did see a replay uh, to see whether that one was legit or not. Uh, thank you for joining the stream, guys. I'm going to look through these comments. If you haven't liked the stream, give me a like. Let me know that you're still here. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. James, I'm happy that Brad brought to attention the team's failures when they had their opportunities to drive and run. Men in scoring position, base loaded, nothing to show for it. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. I mean, it's been that way for the last few days. The first two games, uh, I should say, games two and three against the Braves, it felt like bad luck. They were hitting the ball hard. They were just not coming up with the clutch hits when they needed them. Tonight, man, I felt like it was, it was less uh, aptitude on the plate appearances. Some of these at-bats that they were taking – the, the, the Brewers pitchers were giving you opportunities to reach base, to take what they were giving you. The Cardinals were swinging at some bad pitches, man, and it hurt them tonight. It hurt them tonight, and it made it so that this game was really rather non-competitive. Uh, Brendan L. says the Ollie post game is hella late. Here's the mechanics of how it works on the road. It's different. Um, you go into the, the the manager's office on the road, and it just it's just a little bit of a different way of working it. So I don't obviously have the broadcast on right now since I'm talking to y'all. But, yeah, the post game, I wouldn't read too much into that. But sometimes there is some validity to it. It's just harder to tell on the road because it just works a little differently than when they're at home, they bring Ollie to the podium, and you kind of have a, an expectation of what the timing should look like. So that's kind of my thought on that. Uh, Patrick says, I think Schilt shouldn't have been fired. That's a really interesting conversation. I At the time, I was shocked by the Schilt firing. Uh, like I said, I, I was a fan of Mike Schilt. I think he's a good baseball man. 
I, I don't know the extent of the philosophical differences as they occurred, but I think Mike Schilt, you know, pushed a little too hard in one direction and the Cardinals, whether it was like a huge groundbreaking deal that they sort of made it out to be, or it was a combination of factors, which I think is more of what it really was. It was like, okay, we don't really need to be dealing with this, especially if we trust, like, I think we can get that Ollie Marmel guy and he can manage the team for a, a long, long time. So I'm not saying it was like a, intentional thing to to overthrow it's a coup overthrow Mike Schilt bring in Ollie I don't think it went down that way but I think the Cardinals are happy with the way it happened because they think that Ollie can be the guy for decades to come I really do believe that that's possible you gotta you, you gotta have some results though I mean this year is not off to a great start so it's, it's gonna sound bad and this could this is what do they say the kids say that aged well or that aged poorly whatever it is um it could age poorly, for sure. Jack says Ollie's ego seems to have ballooned in the last year. Similar way to Schilt. Don't think Ollie is a problem yet, but he could become one. You know, I, I, Schilt had the ego. He had the fire to him. You know, if you want to call it that, um, I don't know if ego is the right word, but I, I think you have to manage with a, a sense of determination and a sense of confidence that, like, the decisions you're making are correct. You don't have the ability in the manager's chair to – scroll Twitter and say, oh, crap, you know, uh, so-and-so says I am doing a bad job and I should have done this. Like, you've got to have some conviction in what you're doing, and I think that manifests for managers in different ways. Um, but Ollie is unapologetic in the way he goes about it. When things are going well, I think that's a trait that will obviously benefit him. Uh, when things aren't, it, you know, you saw this past week with Tyler, the way it played out. I don't know, though, if Ollie wishes he, you know, if he had it to do over again, if he would change anything. I, actually, I honestly don't. Um, the further the team goes into a slide and, and fans are going to want to connect the two and, and say they're related, maybe that changes. But I, I feel like he's a guy with conviction in what he's doing. And in the long run, I'm telling you, I think that's something that benefits the Cardinals and their fans. Um, but I can understand right now that, that the frustration is obvious. Um, James says, glad you pointed out the hard hit exit below hits that aren't finding holes. It, they have been unlucky versus many bloopers that the Braves and the Brewers have been able to capitalize on. Yeah, but the bloopers are part of baseball as well. Uh, you know, the Cardinals got a blooper here and there. The, the Arenado one was a blooper in the left center, but Donovan didn't read it very well, so he didn't score tonight. But, I, you know, you've got to you, – it takes all kinds. And the more frequency with which you hit the ball hard, I think you're going to have more opportunities to do some good things. Um, unfortunately, right now for the Cardinals, it's just not really working out that way. Uh, scrolling back up a little bit, little bit, how much of – the runners in scoring position and base loaded issues slash lack of hitting is tied to just trying to hit a home run versus putting the ball in play. Um, you know, I don't really think the Cardinals are selling out for the home run. I, I, you know, I think they have had a good plate approach. Like how many, they started the season with five games in a row, 10 or more hits. So, I mean, if you're swinging for the fences every time, that's kind of a hard thing to do. I think hard contact is what they're selling out for. They want to hit the ball. They want to square it up. They want to hit it in the air because that's where damage comes from, and they should be hitting it in the air. Like, if Wilson Contreras had hit the ball in the air with the base loaded and one out, what happens? They score at least one run. Instead, and I even tweeted this out before the at-bat because I thought, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to try to get him to ground out here, and if he does, it's two. And so he needs to hit the ball in the air. He hit the ball on the ground, the Cardinals were out of the inning. Hit the ball hard, hit it in the air. Those are the two things that matter the most. And it's not just, you know, the stat cast in me talking. It makes sense, especially in situations where you're trying to stay out of double play. So... I don't think they're selling out for home runs. I think it's been a little bit of bad Babbitt luck on the hard hit balls, James. Um, I also think that wasn't the case tonight. I think tonight they just didn't make as good of hard contact, and they they struggled offensively. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Trevor wants Dylan Carlson to play over O'Neal, even against right-handed pitching. Um, yeah, so O'Neal was 0 for 4 with two strikeouts tonight, and one of the non-strikeouts was – what arguably was one of the, the lesser plate appearances by a Cardinal in the game when he could have taken his bases loaded walk there. Uh, what was it? The sixth or seventh inning. And he kind of fists one into the middle infield and, and the, the threat is over. Yeah. I'm per I, I like that. He was back in the lineup tonight, O'Neill, because if he's not, then everybody's, you know, they're speculating that it's because of, you know, he's still benched because of what happened last week and, or earlier this week. And that wasn't the case. And so all he needed to get him back in there to show that. But I do think there comes a point in time where Dylan Carlson is just the better option. He's the better option, in my opinion, defensively, which is not a knock on Tyler defensively. It's praise of Dylan Carlson and how good of a center fielder he is. Um, 
you could play Tyler O'Neill in left field and Dylan in center field. That's that's the other thing of it. But Alec Burleson, you know, is is doing a fine job. He was on base twice tonight. He's hitting 316. Like for all the 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 kind of knocking of Burleson that it seems like is going on, and the fact that everybody's asking, well, could Gorman move up? Could he? Could this guy move up? What about Jordan Walker batting in the two hole? Alec Burleson's hitting 316, and he reached base twice tonight. So he's gonna he's gonna take his walks. He's gonna get on base. Uh, he's gonna put the ball in play. Those are good traits. Those are good qualities. So I, I think it's a little bit tricky. They're not looking to box out Burleson right now, which then would leave O'Neill. But they committed to him at the beginning of this season, and it, I don't know. Everything that I have asked of of Ali Marmel when it comes to Dylan Carlson, he's he's had good things to say. I asked him about it on Wednesday, um, because you know how Ali has really praised guys like Nolan Gorman. Said, hey man, he went into the off season. He did exactly what we were wanting to see from him, and it is really manifested in spring. Same thing with the Brendan Donovan. Similar praise has been given. I hadn't heard that kind of praise about Dylan Carlson, so I did ask Ollie about it Wednesday because I wanted to know really how they felt about Dylan because it does seem like he's the odd man out. It does seem like he's getting sort of uh, put on the back burner, and maybe not justifiably so. I know he struggled last year offensively, but he did a nice job against right-handed pitching in spring training. And he's done a very good job defensively and even offensively when they've given him chances this year. I think Trevor, I would like to see more Tyler O'Neill in the lineup, but it's a, it's a bit of a balancing act. Cause once the, once they do it, I, it's kind of hard to go back to Tyler O'Neill as a regular, but it is kind of crazy. The fact that you've got Lars Newpar injured and you're still seeing Dylan Carlson ride the bench most nights. It's a little bit wild, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's the way that they have chosen to go with it. They, they can give us details about why, or they can, Basically, not tell us the reasoning uh, and be honest about it. But for right now, that's the way they're doing it, and I agree. I'm keeping an eye on when's Dylan maybe going to get more opportunities. What does he do with the chances that he gets? Uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, like the stream. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Lots of stuff like this coming this season, right? Ooh, Jeff Jones says that Naughton's got forearm tightness. Yeah, I bet. He's pitched, what, four times already this week? That's a bummer, though, because Packy has done a really nice job. And uh, I haven't seen that tweet. I'm talking to you guys. But I'll uh, I'll pull up Twitter now so I can can read the actual tweet if it lets me. It'd be nice if it would let me. Where's Jeff? Naughton is in with the docs right now. Forearm tightness for the moment. He felt it. Called the trainer out. Yep, that sucks. It's a bummer, man, because they've leaned on Packy and he's done a really nice job. So that's not what you want to hear. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. David feels like the base running has been worse than it's been in several years. Thoughts on why? Uh, I guess I could say it, it, coincidence in terms of like having several bad base running plays in a row. When you stack them up, it feels like a trend. Uh, Katie asked the question of Ollie the other day if if she if Ollie felt as though they needed more of an emphasis on base running, and he laughed and said, "No, I think it, I don't I don't think that's the case." So uh, for Ollie's part, he doesn't think that it's it's a glaring issue that is compounding on itself. I would say this: the O'Neill play was bad. And if you haven't listened, I've talked for hours about this topic uh, on, on B-Shape Daily, which is uh, available if you listen on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can, it's a daily Cardinals podcast. I do it literally every day. Um, and then I'm now putting it on YouTube as well. So subscribe and follow on all those spots. But I've talked a lot about Tyler O'Neill and that play. Um, I think it's one of those cases where whether he was giving the effort or not, he says he was, all he says he wasn't. It's clear to anybody that was watching that he wasn't running the way Tyler O'Neill normally runs. The speed wasn't there. It wasn't a tight turnaround third. Maybe didn't get the, the good secondary lead and the good jump that he, that you're accustomed to seeing from him. And so bad base running play. I do not think he should have been sent by pop Warner on that play. There is no justification for doing that when you're down three and his run is not the run that matters. So I, I wasn't fond of that. But then on Wednesday, you had the Goldschmidt play. And if you go back and watch, Matt Pauley put the overhead camera view up. And it shows something that the broadcast did not, which was Pop Warner's positioning on this play is nowhere to be found. It was a little bit bizarre. I know it was kind of a weird play in the Bermuda Triangle of left field. You had the left fielder, the shortstop, and the third baseman all converging on it. Ball falls in, but it's happening right as Goldschmidt needs to turn around third base. So I, he may have seen it drop in. But it wasn't a perfect view, and if he turns around that bag to maybe get himself a chance to go home, it'd be nice to have the third base coach stand in halfway between home and third base to either wave him through or put up the stop sign as he's watching the play develop in left field. How quickly does the ball get picked up and, and, and gathered to throw back into the infield? Pop Warner was way down the left field line, 
and never raised his arm, didn't put up a stop sign, didn't put up a go sign. So that play in particular, I, I think you do have to give some criticism to the third base coach. Uh, he he kind of hung Goldie out to dry. Smarter baseball men than me may feel differently about it, but I'm just using my common sense of what I know about the game, and I don't think there's a defense of, well, pop on that play, what he was supposed to do was stand there with his arms by his side and do nothing. I think he just kind of got caught watching with the rest of us. It can happen, but if we're talking about effort with Tyler O'Neill, you know, that, that was a play that I did think deserved some public uh, attention of, yeah, I don't really know what happened there from a base running standpoint. Tonight, let me know if there's another base running play you're talking about. The Edmund failed stolen base is not, you know, bad base running. I thought he might have been safe, but it's just one of those where you're trying to take a chance to jumpstart the offense. Uh, so if there was other base running that I'm not remembering right now, let me know. Um, but yeah, it's a little weird. I don't think it's a trend. I think it's one of those where if it happens in June, you've had two months, three months of really good base running and then a bad week of it. It's happening at the beginning, so it's going to be more highly scrutinized. There's no doubt. Uh, good question from Corey. Just asking, where's my panic meter on a scale of one to 10? Um, it's a great question. It's a, it's, it's a five. It's a four or five. Um, which is maybe higher than it should be one week into the season. But I know that they should try to turn things around quickly to avoid getting into too big of a hole. You don't want to be six or seven or eight games down before the, the calendar turns to May. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but there is the potential for that to happen if they aren't able to sort of find themselves soon. And the starting pitching in particular is where it's like, all right, we still haven't seen a quality start. And Ollie says, yeah, we don't really look at quality start as a stat, but do you look at six innings and, and, not giving up a lot of runs because they haven't been able to go deep enough to get to that. You've got guys like Packy Dotton throwing a bunch of games. What happens? He's hurt. Right. And it's only April. It's April 7th. Like <laughs> if you have this type of performance from a starter every night where you're going five, five and a third, maybe getting six. It's not sustainable for the bullpen, man. You're going to see guys get overworked. You're going to see guys become ineffective and that's not what you want. So my panic meter is a five. Um, but remember, four days ago, I would have been like, what's a panic meter? This team's winning the World Series. Are you kidding me? They look great. So it's escalated quickly. There's no doubt about that. But it's it, I don't think you could get me above a five, barring, you know, getting swept and then looking ugly in Colorado. Like, there's always going to be time to, to turn it around. This offense has the ability to turn it around quickly as well. Um, but right now, they're not doing it. James, it's early in the season. I actually feel... Being overly aggressive on plays from third to home is not ideal right now. Too much risk of injury so early in the season. For me, it wasn't the risk of injury factor. It was the fact that it's a bad strategic play. It's a bad baseball play. If you're down four to one and there's two outs in the inning, it's not the ninth, so it's not the, the last part of the game, but it's getting there. It's your last real rally opportunity unless you, you're able to spark another one completely uh, you know, from scratch. And you've got Tommy Edmond. I'm talking about uh, Wednesday or Tuesday now with the O'Neill play. We've got Tommy Edmond. He's going to bat from the right side against the lefty. Check out his baseball reference from last year in those situations. It's pretty freaking good. He killed lefties last year. Absolutely killed lefties. And so that was the situation the Cardinals needed to have. It's a bad baseball play to make sure that they get taken out of that situation by testing Ronald Acuna and right. Doesn't make any sense. So I didn't like it. Uh, Redbirds last season got lit up by good pitching. Seems that you'd be lying on uh, relying upon Wilson to shake it up. Gorman and Jordan too. Hopefully it's enough. You love this team as you should love this team. Jordan is going to be a huge help to this team from a consistency standpoint, because I don't know how many hitless streaks he'll go through. Like how many three or four games in a row streaks will Jordan Walker go without a single hit? Maybe not many. I think if you look last year in the minors, it's like it didn't happen. He just doesn't do it. He's going to maybe have a bad day, two days, three days, but he's, he's going to come around quicker than most. He's just that he's that good, man. He's different. He's different, and he's only going to get better. He's 20 years old, so he's going to continue to improve. Um, Wilson Contreras, they need, they need more out of him offensively. They do. As the season goes along, they really do. Gorman, I've been really, really impressed with him. Uh, Cardinal fan 127. Does it look to you like Arnado isn't seeing the ball well right now? He's in full on swing mode at anything relatively close. Yeah, and pitchers pick up on that too, right? Like if they sense you're in a spot like that, they're going to try to to feed you off the plate a little bit. And I agree, Arnado's not seeing the ball well right now. Um, the frustration came out. You saw it, and he's two for four tonight. Is the crazy part? Um, 
my thing is with Arnano, it's it, these don't last. It's impossible for it to last, so I wouldn't worry. He's he's got a track record of a you know decade plus, whatever it's been, of just incredible baseball playing. I wouldn't worry about it. But you're right. I mean, yeah, it doesn't look good to him right now. And I actually said that on the big show yesterday. Uh, if you like more Cardinals talk, Mizzou talk, Kansas City Chiefs talk, KTGR, the big show, KTGR.com. It's weekdays, 4 to 6. Check us out. Greg Robinson, you know I'm going to keep it positive. How about the play by BFD? Did you guys see that play by Donovan? That was unbelievable. That might be, I mean, that we're going to play a full season of baseball. That's going to be one of the top five plays a Cardinal makes all year defensively. The fact that he got to the ball was one thing, but he had his momentum going the entire opposite direction, managed to stop on a dime, pop up, throw without really being able to set his feet and get a lot behind the throw, still threw a hard shot to first and got the runner in time. That was a ridiculous play. Trevor says it was Nolan-esque at second. Yeah, Donovan could win a gold glove again, and he could win it at second. You know, they don't move him around. I think it's one of his best positions. Uh, he might be even a little better at third, but they they have a decent guy at third. So Andrew says uh, Arnado sacrificed millions of dollars to stay on this team. Yeah, he did. I don't think he knew it at the time. Like, I don't think he knew that Sandra Bogarts was getting $189 million or whatever it was. I don't think he knew that, like, that free agency was going to pop off quite to the extent that it did. But also, I don't think it was a decision for him that was like, I, I know he pondered it as well anybody would in that situation when you have uh, the earning potential that he does. But I think it was a case of he just wanted to make sure things were on the right track. This is where he always wanted to be, though. So I don't think it was really a thought for him. Um, and I don't even know if you'd say that he regrets it um, because he's in the spot that he wanted to be. That Now they just have to win some ball games and make it feel a little better than it does right now. Alec, the middle infield doesn't get enough credit defensively on a national level. Edmund and Donovan both with great plays tonight. Not a question, just an observation. Yeah, Edmund's play was great. Jack Flaherty could have thrown that one into center field, and he, he darn near did. And Edmund to snare it and keep his foot on the bag. What do I always say about Tommy Edmund? He demands the second bag. He always gets it. Tommy, two bags. A little bit of a different spin on it there, but it was nice to see. Caleb says the thing that I love about baseball is that everyone's worried, rightfully so, and they could go and win tomorrow. And then heading into Sunday, you're looking for a series win. Exactly right, Caleb. It sucks because you look up and the Pirates have like five or six wins. I don't know if they won today, but they had five wins before today. And so you're like, well, man, how are the Cardinals two and five? Like, that's ridiculous. But it's early. People are tired of me saying it's early. I'm going to continue to say it for as long as it's early. And then when it's not early, I will let you know. If I could wink, I would have winked just there. I don't know how. Andrew says, been over a decade since the last World Series. And since 2014, they've won a single LCS game. They're the ones who put up a huge World Series trophy out of the park. <laughs> they can't have it both ways. It's a great point. It's a very good point. They did put that massive trophy out there, and it's like, it's been a decade since you've uh, gotten one of those. Oh, it's been a dozen years since you've gotten one of those. Yep, I agree. And the starting pitching is going to have to come around. I think the offense will. Like, over the course of a long season, I think the offense will be fine. The pitching I'm not convinced will be. Although I'll say this, Matthew Libertor is going to be in St. Louis at some point, and when he's here, I bet he's here to stay this time. He looks really good. Ten innings, no runs, 14 strikeouts in Memphis. I don't know how many more starts Jake Woodford has before that, that flip-flop is made. I think it should be at least three total. Um, I don't know if it would be totally fair to pull him from the rotation if he has a bad start in Milwaukee because sometimes that can be a tough ballpark to pitch in. And it's a pretty good lineup. I don't know who he would line up again to face the, the third time through, but that might be where I start to scrutinize a little bit more. Um, granted, if he gives up like nine runs in Milwaukee, then maybe we have a different conversation. My point is Libertor is knocking on the door, I think, faster than maybe people expected. There was a question that I think Trevor asked it, and Alec is answering it, so I appreciate that, uh, for Newt. When's he going to come back off the IL? It was retroactive to the 31st, which means the ninth or so is – it's like the ninth or 10th is when he's eligible to come off of the IL. And I assume it will be pretty quickly at that point. He didn't know when we spoke to him in St. Louis, if he was going to need a rehab and Ollie made it seem like they probably wouldn't. So I think, I think it's a case of they were four or five days into it already. And they said, maybe let's just give him the extra five or six days. Now uh, we're going to put him on the IL backdate it and, and get Yepes up here. And I think that made sense. There's no reason to like push him and then have him, re-aggravate it and then suddenly you know he's out for longer so yeah i think uh I, I what i don't know and maybe somebody who's in milwaukee has tweeted this out one of the reporters i don't know if he traveled to milwaukee if he did 
obviously he'll be probably coming back pretty soon. Maybe he meets the team in, in Denver if he didn't travel to Milwaukee. But I think I think he'll be back probably before the end of the road trip. I'd be surprised if he wasn't, unless there was a real setback. We'll see, though. Initially, we didn't think he was going to need the IL. And lo and behold, he did. <laughs> uh, Andrew says, we have six starting pitchers. Quote from John Mosellock. Come on. The franchise is a joke. How many winning seasons have they had in a row? Come on. You think they're really going to, you think they're going to have a losing season because they're two and five. If that's how you feel, I respect it. I don't think that's going to happen though. I don't know. Call me a, call me a homer. I don't think they're going to have a losing year. Uh, let's see. Though traditionally a slow starter is from James. He was hoping that Goldie performing in the WBC would help jumpstart him in the season but he's off at the plate. Yeah, he had a strikeout tonight that I was thinking, man, when Goldie's seen it, that doesn't happen. You know, that moment doesn't happen. And so it's a bit of a bummer from uh, from Goldsmith there. But, like, again, you think the MVP is going to be bad all year? No, I don't. He's hitting 391, too, by the way. <laughs> like, we're dogging a guy. He reached base via walk tonight. He struck out twice. We hold in, in My co-host Andy on the big show made a great point this week when, when I mentioned Arenado. I was, we were having a conversation about the offense um, and the big show, by the way, is on Spotify too. If you guys want like as much content as you can get subscribe to the big show too. Absolutely. Um, we were talking about the offense and like whether we, what, what, how we felt about it. And I went up and down the lineup and I said, there's really nobody that I can say, Oh man, he's struggling. Like Edmund hadn't hit for any power yet, but he was still hitting like 260 when we had the conversation. Arenado was the one guy where I was like, I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not worried about him, but if I was going to pick one guy to say he doesn't look right right now, it's Nolan. And that's laughable because he's going to end up with some of the best numbers on the team. It's just, a, it's a given. He has had that level of consistency, that kind of track record in his career. Um, Chase said, yeah, the 3-0 at bat looked like he definitely didn't see the ball well. It happens. It happens. Yeah, how often do you see Trevor Goldie up 3-0 and in the count and striking out? Almost never, Right. He is an on-base machine, and if you put him in a 3-0 spot, he's going to outthink you. He's going to he's going to find a way on base, and the strikeout tells you he's going through it a little bit. But you know what? How many times have we seen that from not only Goldsmith but like everybody in baseball? There are times where you just don't see it well. It's a 162 game season. It feels a little worse when a lot of your stars are having those same moments at the beginning of a year. But at the same time, Goldie's numbers are still like electric. He had a, a really hot start. Um, he's sitting 391. That's what MLB tells me. I can click on it and find out the OPS if you let me have a drink of water. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are right. His OPS is only 1,100. I was just going to let that be a pregnant pause. See if anybody, like, come on, it's Paul Goldschmidt. I'm not doubting Paul Goldschmidt. Same thing with Arenado. His numbers aren't at that point, but. Ooh, here we go. We got a good one. Uh, well, Trevor mentions that the Pirates have a stone-cold killer. Yeah, Brent, uh, Brian Reynolds is awesome. I thought the Cardinals should go get him last year, but now look at it. They have like 11 outfielders, and they can't figure out. But Reynolds is better than all of the outfielders the Cardinals have, except for maybe Walker offensively. Um, right now, he's more polished than Walker, but Walker could pass him up. But yeah, they couldn't figure out a way to get him, and I'm not surprised because uh, he's really good, and he's in the division. So why would the Pirates trade him to St. Louis? But Chase asks a question. It's inevitable that we need to trade for a starting pitcher. Is win now an untouchable when it comes to trades? Would hate to move pitching prospects as well and end up with another Sandy slash Gallon situation. Yeah, how bad was that uh, Ozuna trade? We didn't know it at the time. But, man, it ended up really rough. Sandy had like an hour 58 shutout the other day, taking full advantage of that pitch clock. He is really good. And Zach Gallon's really good as well. Nasty stuff. But at the time... Like, really, the, the part about the Ozuna trade that should bother you the most is that they identified Flaherty and Dakota Hudson as more untouchable than Sandy and Gallon at the time. And I, I throw Flaherty into that conversation not because I think he's the same as Hudson, who is, you know, washed out of the rotation and he's trying to, to make it back out of Memphis. That's not, not the same tier that Jack is in by any means. We've seen elite stuff from Jack. That being said, Jack has not had the durability and the consistency over his six-year tenure with the Cardinals. Like, this is last year with the Cardinals because he's a free agent. Uh, whereas Sandy looked like a middle reliever that wasn't going to be a workhorse, and he's leading the league in complete games at this point, right? So I don't know if that's a miss on identification, but it was one of those where, like, if you take yourself back to that time period, you know that the Cardinals were not giving Sandy a shake. Like, he wasn't going to get a chance to start. 
they had decided and identified that Flaherty, Hudson were guys that were ahead, and Gallon was much lower in the organization at the time, too. So it's a bad break, man. It's a bad beat. But I'll answer the question from Chase. I talked so long. I apologize. Uh, while I'm talking, give it a like. Like the stream. Subscribe on YouTube. Let's go. Uh, Mason Wynn is untouchable, yes. That is the way I view Mason Wynn. He impressed the hell out of me in spring. I did not know going into spring that I was going to feel as confident about him offensively as I do at this point, but I think he is going to end up being the complete package and will grow into having some power. Dude is confident too. Like that can help a guy when you're the shortstop, when you're the, you know, the captain of the, the infield, that's kind of the position that, that he plays. He is major league ready defensively. I don't know if he's quite major league ready offensively, but like he is, it's just, I don't know if he's going to be a middle of the order bat, a top of the order bat at this point. I think he's going to be, if you brought him up right now, I think he'd hold his own. He'd have special moments. I, I liken it to remember last year, O'Neill Cruz with the uh, Pirates would do like something every other day that was just like, wow, your jaw would drop. But then you look at his numbers like, oh, he's hitting 200. Oh, he's not hitting for power. Oh, it's the consistency might be hard for Mason Wynn at this point in time. And I think that's why he's getting Memphis. I also think it's where you're going to put him. Like if Edmund is performing, if Donovan's performing, there's nowhere to play mason win at the big league level he was right though when he said that if he were in another organization he would be in the big leagues right now i think he is capable of walking into the big leagues right now and, and holding his own um which says a lot about what is he 20 years old so like that in and of itself should tell you that he should probably be untouchable yeah but you're right like if you want to go get a starting pitcher here's what's hard about the rotation right now let's assume wainwright comes back in a couple weeks because he's going to be back before that i think based on the way his rehab's going and then your other four starters are, are guys that were in the rotation to begin with. Look at all five of them. What do they have in common? They have a contract. Even if it's not a long-term contract, they're all getting paid in the millions, starter money, to be starters. And so if they're all healthy and one of them is underperforming, I mean, it would be easy to take out a, let's say Jordan Montgomery flames out so hard that you don't want to start him. They could take him out of the rotation. He's, you know, he's not a long-term guy. He's, he's a free agent after the year but I think he's one of their better options right now. And so I don't know who you replace and I don't know how you do it because you're paying that guy and people say, who cares about the money? You got to win games. Totally agree. And by June or July, that will become even more scrutinized and evident when it comes to, okay, is there a move they can make? But if you've got guys you're paying and they all end up staying healthy, which probably won't happen, but if it did, I don't see the Cardinals going out and trading for another contract. Like I just, that's going to be a little bit difficult to maneuver. It's kind of like the old saying from Mo. He says, well, it's complicated. And Cardinals fans don't like to hear that. But I am speaking from a position of what I think they will do or won't do, not what I think they should do or should not do. I think it would be to their benefit to identify a controllable arm and trade for him. But the problem is, will you as a Cardinals fan be okay with it if they trade Gordon Graceffo, if they trade Michael McGreevy, if they trade Libertor for a guy that is considered a more polished starter now, and then lo and behold, he's not. And then the guy they traded ends up being really good. That would be a tough pill to swallow if you're a Cardinals fan. And they saw it happen with Sandy and Gallon in the same Ozuna deal. So I'm just saying that's, I think that definitely that trade and the way it has played out, plus the Rosarena deal, which could still work out for the Cardinals. Matthew Libertor, you never know. But I think those deals, they've looked at and going, all right, at the time we had our evaluations and it is what it is. But man, we don't want to do that again. And so I do think it's made the Cardinals a little bit gun shy on big time trades, moving on from players that they really do think, you know, highly of. And then sometimes those guys lose their luster and then you can't trade them anymore for their peak value. And that's something the Cardinals have suffered from too. Like I'm high on Dylan Carlson still, but I don't think anybody would be able to successfully argue to me that he's got as much or more trade value right now as he did last June or July. He doesn't. It may go back up. But it also may be a case where the Cardinals, you know, they were off on their timing of, of seeing what they could do for a, a, good, a good asset. Alex Reyes is another great example. There was a moment in time where he was, you know, middle of an all-star campaign. Cardinals were on the fringe of the playoff contention. They could have gotten a boatload for him in that 2021 race. Granted, he was their closer and they wanted to make the playoffs. They made the playoffs. They lost the wild card game to the Dodgers. Didn't get anything for Reyes and he never pitched for him again. So, those are the kinds of trades that are not the Cardinals' strong suit. 
to trade guys at their peak. That being said, sometimes when you trade guys, they get even better later on, and you go, oh, no, we should not have traded that guy away. So it's an interesting thought. Coming up on 50 minutes here on the stream. Appreciate you guys. Uh, Zach says that Matt's doesn't make that much. Uh, I don't agree with that. He's got the the most substantial contract of the of the group. Well, not now. Michaelis does now. Um, 16 million a year for the next couple of years and a big signing bonus that he got this year. But Matt's, I mean, he's got two more years on the deal at 11 mil. That's not reliever money, my friend. Like they they signed him to be a starter, and they're gonna need him to be. They're gonna need him to be good. So I hear what you're saying, but like I don't think. Like, Steven Matz, if he's got a 6 ERA in June, yeah, maybe they replace him then and say, it sucks, but we're just going to have to eat the $11 million for the next two years and put him in the bullpen or do something with him because right now we need somebody else. But I don't know if it'll devolve into that for Matz, and I, I definitely know you can't make that determination after one week. Um, let's see. Trevor says Woodford is that first man to be moved to the bullpen right now. He is. Uh, he could pitch better, and then you won't want to move him. But after one start and after – you know, having the knowledge that Wainwright's on the way back soon. Yeah, he is. So, Trevor, how uh, with how well Druver and Thompson have done, should they consider an opener strategy? They Maybe they, they could, but then what happens when you throw an inning or two with those guys and then the other guy throws four and you're, you're in the seventh inning and you don't have those guys to fall back on? That might be an interesting question. Um, Alex says, Gould's article today said Newt did travel. So, Derek reporting for the, the Post-Dispatch, that Newt is in Milwaukee. That tells me he'll be activated about as soon as he's allowed to be, if not maybe one day after. So we'll see about that one. Uh, Chase has faith in Jordan. You should. He's great. Ryan Shipley, let's not forget, uh, make room for DeYoung soon. Yeah, and as much as it's not, it's not fair, I think Taylor Motter is the, the guy that, you know, might end up getting shipped out. He's the last guy on the bench. He's filling the exact same role as DeYoung fills. Um, so he might go to Memphis for that. There was some dispute over whether Motter had uh, options remaining. And according to, like, the Fangraphs resource, he does have one left. So I think he'd go to Memphis at that point. But, uh, yeah, when if and when DeYoung gets back healthy, he'll be in the Motter role. Which, by the way, don't freak out, Cardinals fans, if you're like, oh, DeYoung, I'm frustrated with DeYoung. How much has Taylor Motter played this week? Hardly at all. That's the amount that DeYoung's going to play. It's the same exact role. I'm telling you. you it's not like they're going to bring him back in and he's going to be the starter if he's not performing. If he earns more opportunity, it'll be a different story, but he's he's going to have to be a kind of the utility guy. He's going to be the Edmundo Sosa of last year, uh, except for probably playing even less because Donovan has now taken over second baseman full-time and Gorman is going to going to chip in there when, when Donovan doesn't. So there you go. Uh, Ryan says that Jay Flair seems disinterested for years and still seems that way. I I don't think that's true. I'll, I'll defend the player on that. Disinterested may not be the right word. I think he's been off his game, whether it's a result of just, I mean, guys, you'd get beaten down too if you had the injuries that he's dealt with and the frustration that comes along with that. So I think he's been a little bit out of his element the last few years. I don't see that from him. I Like in 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 seeing him pitch, even with the walks and everything happening, I haven't seen dis, disinterested. I've seen his ability to sort of work through some of that that struggle and not get frustrated by it. Like, haven't there been times on the on the field in, in the past when he looks emotionally kind of wrecked out there? Like, it's getting to him, the struggles. I didn't see that from him at Bush, and I didn't really see it from him tonight. Uh, and, and he, in, in his first post game, I don't know what it sounded like tonight if they interviewed him on on the TV show. Um, but in, in his first post game interviews, I thought he was actually pretty handled it. Like, you could tell he had he had things together and felt like he was moving in a good direction. And I didn't get that sense where he was, you know, he's going to get upset if he asked the, the wrong question or whatever. Like he was, I think he's locked in. I really do. And the fact that we can have all the negative things to say about his start to the season and then can look up and go, oh, his ERA is like two or 1.8, whatever it is. It's notable. All right. Like if he turns it on, suddenly his start's going to look incredible. Like if he goes seven shutout the next time with three walks, you're going to go, oh, Jack Flaherty's area is 1.0 and and he's you know doing fantastic. He's not that far off, but what does he have to fix? He's got to get better command. He's got to just throw more strikes. You have to throw more strikes if you're Jack Flaherty and you want to be the ace that that you want to be to get to get your next contract and that you you know that the Cardinals want you to be as well. He's just got to throw more strikes. He's got it in him, but you know, it's a little bit of a slow burn to get there. But again, 
thank your stars that instead of struggling through command and allowing half of his walks to score, he's walked 12 guys and has given up two runs in 10 innings. There's something to be said for that. Uh, James, as much as I would see win is untouchable, I would trade him for Yuri Perez in a heartbeat. Okay, sure. Yuri Perez is like the 19-year-old phenom prospect for the Marlins pitching prospect. But remember, pitchers get hurt. <laughs> like they just do. That's unfortunately the reality of it. Uh, let's see. Chase, pretty sure Gallon in an old podcast had said that the cards felt he had attitude issues. Yep, that would be a misidentification, wouldn't it? If you're letting like your personal belief about a player and, and his personality get in the way of maybe the talent that he had, that's a miss, and the Cardinals got to own that. They misidentified the player. I haven't heard that podcast, so I can't speak to it, but if that's the way they felt, like, yeah, they their evaluation on him was off, and they let maybe some thoughts on his personality uh, and his demeanor get in the way of the evaluation of his talent. That's possible that they did that. Do I think Walker would bite on an eight-year, $180 million offer? No, I do not think that he would. I think he I, – I, I do not think he would. No, I think it's a case where you you play your way for the next few years and you're you're double in that contract if you're Jordan Walker. So I get the thought process. Um, and let's say, like, let's say he is the super, the superstar we think he is. You're talking about six years and then two years of free agency that you'd be buying out if you're doing an eight-year deal because it's six years of team control and then two years of free agency. So it gets you to eight. Let's say the two free agent years would be worth $35 million, which, you know, six or eight years from now, inflation is probably more than that. But let's just say 35 That's 70 of it. 110 for the first six years. And we know that the first three years are basically zero. You can call that $3 million total, and that's still more than you'll actually get because it's going to be below the major league minimum. Or not, not below the minimum. Gosh, that'd be a labor issue. Um, it's going to be like, uh, you know, 750,000, 800,000, 850. It's going to be low numbers, uh, pre-arb. So then I might have to reevaluate my answer because we're talking about three years of a hundred and do I think he would bite on it? I have no idea, but doing the math on it is actually a little closer, but do I think the Cardinals would offer eight and one eighty? I, I don't think they would eight and one sixty. They might offer that. You got to remember the first three years are complete nothing. And so now that I'm doing the math on that, like assume he's a superstar first year of ARB 10 million would be a monster number. Second year, 15, third year, 20, 10 plus 15 plus 20 is what is that? 10 plus 15, plus 45, put it to 50 million. If you count the first three years and then 35 plus 35, that's 120 total. Yeah, 8 and 180, he probably would take, I guess. Like, I just don't think that's probably the number. Like, what are, what are the what are the offers that guys like uh, the Braves, what did those guys end up getting offered? Right, because they, they signed a lot of those guys. Michael Harris signed an eight-year, $72 million with the Braves. Um, yeah, 8 and 180, Walker would take in a heartbeat. The Cardinals would never, ever, ever offer it. That's a big number. Just because of the way the, the salaries are structured in the game, that's not, wouldn't be necessary. Um, at all. But I, I like the way you think. Locking him up long-term would be great. I think you'd need it to be like a 10- or a 12-year deal for it to be worth it to the Cardinals. Um, and, yes, you'd have to be counting on the free agent dollars being each year you buy out a free agency. That's the real slice that you have to, to pony up for. Um, but it's a good question. It's a fun question to think about. But I don't think Jordan Walker needs that, you know. I, I just don't think it's something that he's ang- angling to do. He's going to take it as it comes, and I don't think he's in any rush. Uh, Alec, I've always wondered, how do all the Cardinals beat writers get along? Are you guys friends? Is it just an amiable press chat room chat, or do you guys hang out outside of semi-working together? Uh, I think everybody gets along pretty well. Um, the press box is a fun place. Like, the, all the all the baseball writers, all the media folks, like, you have good jokes going around. Writers are, by and large, pretty clever, and so there are some good zingers and one-liners that get said. Um We've we, there have been some uh, some you know times where writers have gone to dinner and stuff. That kind of stuff happens in spring training. Happens more on road trips, uh, which I don't really get to be a part of as much, especially now with I've got a seven month old baby and uh, that's great. But I'm not going to do 
uh, a ton of travel this year to road games probably because of that. Um, but yeah, it, it does happen. It's more of a road trip thing though. Honestly, if you talk about everybody getting together outside of uh, the working hours, uh, it happens on the road because it's kind of, you know, got to go to dinner, got to go do stuff. So that's what it is. That's a good question. That's a fun question. I like that. Uh, if Packy goes IL, do they bring up Libby or someone else to fill the role? Especially since, like you said, Libby probably will and should stay here once he gets up. No, because I think Libby they needed as their starter depth. Like Dakota might have started the year as the number six starter. Um, Woodford sort of is that right now, and they're using him already because of the Wayno injury. But I think that Libby may pass Woodford in the pecking order at some point to where he's going to be the next guy up when they need somebody. So I wouldn't go Libby. I would I would keep him stretched out because Libby needs to be in your 2024 rotation, by the way. Like that's it's too early to be like thinking about that too hard, but like you've got Palante already a starter capable pitcher. That's in a bullpen role. He's not going to throw enough innings in the bullpen this year to be able to start next year and, and pitch 150, 160, 170 innings. They, they need to be thinking about that a little bit. And Libby has looked really good in his role. So it wouldn't be Libby for me. It would be, I don't know, one of the other lefties. Um, I don't know if they have a 40 man spot, so that could be tough. Trevor says that Imbundo homered today. That's funny. It's not funny. It's good for him. But he was not much of a hitter with the Cardinals. So, But I root for him. He's a fun guy to watch. He's kind of an energetic kind of player. Uh, Caleb wants to see more doubles out of the offense. Too many innings, you're looking for that third single. Yeah, that's kind of true, isn't it? For all the hard-hit balls, the base running has been a little, little dicey. I guess earlier I mentioned base running, and people were kind of criticizing. Yeah, Donovan not reading the ball on Arenado was another base running faux pas today. I don't know, man. It's strange. I think you get it in your head a little bit too. Like it's been going on. Everybody knows it's a thing and now you're overthinking it, screwing up more because you're thinking about it too hard. I don't know if that's happening to each individual, but yeah, it's been a little bit of a rough go for base running. Uh, Trevor did mention Druver and Thompson. Um, and I said, no, they probably won't do the opener, but I did want to just give more credit to Verhagen because I, he's really been awesome. I don't know if there's a way to put him as a starter. Um, they kind of need him in the bullpen role that he's in, but it, he wanted to be a starter when they signed him last year. So I guess if they thought they could stretch him out, they could do that. Ryan, how much will the FO front office tease an Otani trader signing? They won't, they won't tease it at all. Um, it doesn't benefit them to talk about that. You know, they don't historically talk about players that are on other teams anyway. So no, they won't, they won't tease it. We'll probably talk about it, but Alec says he's hopping off. Appreciate the time. Be safe. Happy Easter. Yeah, guys, it's been about an hour. It's been awesome talking with you. Um, we got a fun couple dozen people in here. Do me a favor. 16 of you are still in this chat. Please subscribe to the channel before you go, because then you'll always know when we go live. Um, I'm going to be doing this kind of thing more often. I'll be doing podcasts that aren't live. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's worth it when you guys are in here asking me questions. It's been awesome. Uh, should we talk about the other Jordans outing tonight? Craig said, no, we should, we should end the stream. Yeah, man. Hicks has struggled. He's struggled. I don't know what to make of it. He's throwing a hundred. But you know what? Nowadays, big leaguers, they can hit 100. And if you don't locate it well, they can lay off of 100. Gave up a run, two hits, and a walk. Gave up the bomb. Yeah, it's been a struggle, man. I don't know what to make of Hicks because it doesn't make any sense. His stuff is too good to be struggling like he is. Um, I'm, I'm not panicking, but if there was a guy in the bullpen that I'd say, yeah, I mean, you're, you're starting to talk about it getting a little bit warm in terms of the worry, the worry meter. It's going up a little bit. We'll see. Uh, Cabby, three innings pitch, zero ERA, 9, uh, 0.9 whip. How long before he gets called up? I think that's the answer, James. I didn't know that. I should be paying more attention to Memphis than I have been, but I got a little bit going on. Uh, Cabby would be the guy that comes up for Packy. It's it's a no-brainer because he is on the 40-man, right? I think. He wouldn't have still been in the roster if he wasn't. Alex says they don't have a 40-man spot open. I didn't think they did. Um so, yeah, Cabby would be the guy that gets called up for Packy if he needs the IL. That'll be the answer to that. Making sure I didn't miss anything else. Uh, if Guys, if you asked a question in chat that I didn't answer, at bshafer12 on Twitter, just spell my name right if, if you want to be able to DM me. I, I answer every DM that I see. I really do. Um, sometimes it might get hidden in the other chat, especially Elon Musk is hiding, hiding stuff from me these days. But uh, DM me on Twitter if there's ever anything that I don't get to. But otherwise, I want to be accessible to y'all because you ask great questions. Uh, even after a loss like tonight, you guys are so into it. So I love being able to hop on here with you. We're going to close things down here. 
Um, but please do subscribe to Be Shafe. It's youtube.com slash, and that's my Twitter handle, at Be Shafer 12. So uh, I'll be doing lives on here, uh, be doing all kinds of stuff on here. Let me know what kind of YouTube content you want to see. Like, I'm learning how to do videos. I'm not a video editor guy. I'm going to become one. I'm going to try to get better. Um, but you guys supporting me, listening to the podcast, doing all that is the way I end up continuing to do this for my career forever. And that's what I would love to do, be doing this 50 years from now on whatever you know, whatever website Elon Musk is is buying and, and making us do for social media by then. So you guys support me. It's awesome. And if you really, really like me, I do have a Patreon set up, patreon.com slash bshafer12. I haven't put a ton of content on there recently, but it's sort of one of those deals where if you want to support me, it's like $5 a month, like whatever the cheapest thing on there is, you're helping me out that way. But I'll start like actually putting stuff on Patreon to make it worth your while. But uh, mostly, let's do the free stuff on YouTube because uh, that doesn't cost anything. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on what I guess I'm calling B-Shape Daily Live. But uh, hit me up on Twitter if I didn't answer your questions, and uh, we'll, we'll roll it back. Thank you, guys. We'll do another one of these again soon. Peace.